We've been having a fun few weeks, I think, talking about the gospel, and we're going to think a bit more about it today. And um, this week, um, my children went fishing with Uncle Tavis. And uh, Tavis, he's a great fisherman. He knows the spots. And um, still, does not matter how well you know the spots, sometimes the fish have a mind of their own. <laughs> and we got to that first spot and nothing was happening. And Tavis said, I think we need to move. So we moved. And we got to the second spot and all we caught were tiddlers. And uh, I said to Xavier, I said, why don't you pray and ask the Lord to give you a fish? I did it quietly, didn't let any of the others hear. And then I said to the Lord, Lord, hear his prayer. <laughs> so I, I was encouraging him to pray because I wanted him to have an answer to his prayer. For me, that was more important than the fish. But then I prayed. I asked the Lord to hear his prayer. That was what really meant something to me. Well, it was only about a minute later, and he caught a fish he could keep. And boy, was he happy. The first fish in his life he's caught that he could take home and eat. And he said, I'm having this for dinner. And well, he at least had some of it for dinner. And, um, and then, as the day went along, he caught two more. So he ended up taking home three and had a fabulous day. And we really appreciate Uncle Tavis taking the boys out and um, giving him that experience. So um, fishing, it's a bit like catching people for Jesus, right? And the Bible is full of fishing stories, at least certainly the New Testament. Jesus comes along and he loves catching fish. And the disciples, they were fishermen, and it seems there's no shortage of stories where they needed Jesus' help to catch the fish. Didn't seem they could catch them on their own in the Bible. I'm sure they did in real life, actually catch fish on their own. But whenever there's a story about fishing, it seems like they couldn't catch any, and they needed Jesus' help. Well, that's pretty much how it is with evangelism. You can't bring people to the Lord without Jesus' help, but you do actually have to go fishing. You can't not go fishing and expect to catch fish. You have to go fishing, but have Jesus' help. So I want to start this morning with Luke chapter 11, verse 9 to 13. And there's this um, little bit where Jesus was teaching his disciples about prayer. And um, he said to them, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So you've got, to have, you've got to pray prayers to get them answered. You can't expect things to happen if you're not praying. And I've always said, we've got to pray for more stuff. So the more things you pray for, the more things will get answered. That's a fact. But Jesus had more to say. He said, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I remember one day at home, one of my boys asked me for an egg, a boiled egg. So, you know, they're in the fridge, all in rows. Can I have a boiled egg, please? And I was going to say no. Then I remembered this scripture. If your son asks for an egg, <laughs> all right, have an egg. Well, <laughs> well, I certainly wasn't going to give him a scorpion, that's for sure. But, uh, <laughs> But the fact is, if your kids ask for stuff, you give it to them. And here's this very passage where it says, if, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Well, I figured if you ask God for a fish, 
If you're fishing and you ask him for a fish, it's written here in the Bible, he'll give you a fish. It's scripture, right? It's written in black and white. It can't be more obvious than that. If you want to catch a fish, and I'm talking, we were out fishing with Uncle Tavis and we asked the Lord for a fish. I, I know lots of stories where people have asked for actual fish. I was fishing with Darren Shepherd once at Port Armour. We couldn't catch anything. And I remembered that this was in the Bible and I said, Darren, why don't we both pray and ask for a fish? And we both caught one each within the next few minutes. Simple. Ask. Well, he wasn't really talking about fish though. He said, if then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And Matthew's version says, how much more will your Father give good gifts to those who ask him? You can ask God for lots of things. He loves to answer your prayer, especially if you ask for fish. And of course, by that, I'm talking about help with winning people to Christ. If you want to win people to Christ, he loves to answer that prayer. It's right here in the Bible. So um, fishing, it's a picture of salvation. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he said, come and follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Or we're all used to maybe hearing it say, I will make you fishers of men, which includes fishers of women, fishers of people. When the Bible says men, sometimes it's just the old way of speaking and it means everybody. So Jesus wants us to catch people. Now, you catch them with bait, right? That's how you catch fish, with bait. The way that a lot of people go about bringing people to the Lord, they're not using bait at all, they're using sticks. They think you can go around beating people and that's going to somehow make them so enthusiastic to come into the church. No, you catch them with bait. You know there's an old saying, you catch more flies with honey, right? You ever heard that saying? Yeah, well, that's what we're talking about. You catch people with bait because they've got to experience the kindness of God. God's actually so kind. He's unbelievably kind. Well, that's what we're showing to people. We think that witnessing means beating them on the head with a stick, telling them you're going to hell if you don't become a Christian right now. No, witnessing is being an example of what God has done. It's sure, it, part of it means speaking the truth, but part of it also means showing, the Lord, showing people that, Lord, hears prayer. The Lord's at work in my life. God is so kind to me. God is so kind to you too. It's, you're, you're not seeking to win an argument. You're seeking to win someone's heart. And when you win someone's heart, which is fishing with bait, you, you bring about a real changed person. It's not someone that might go to church for one Sunday because they feel bad, but that's it. They're never going to go again. Or it's not like, you know, sometimes people give in to the gospel message just because they want you to stop talking about it. You know, it's an outward, an outward conversion. That happens a lot. You talk to people about Jesus and you're so pushy that people say, oh yeah, I'll accept Jesus, pray for me now, and they're just doing it to get the conversation to finish. No, you want to bring about a change of heart. And that's done with the, by showing them the love of Christ through patience and involves the truth as well, but the truth presented in the right way. So Jesus said, come and follow me. I'm going to make you the fishes of men. And the Bible's full of examples of them catching fish with Jesus' help 
and you're supposed to be someone like that. You're not supposed to be someone that doesn't catch fish. You're not supposed to be someone that doesn't even think about catching fish. You're not supposed to be someone that thinks about it but doesn't try. He wants to make you someone that catches fish. You're a Christian and God's called you to follow him and he wants to make you someone like that. So we're going to go right back to the beginning of the Bible and talk for a few minutes about non-gospelly things, but use it to make a point. So I want to go back to right back to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 26 to 28. And this is the creation week where God made people. And God said in verse 26, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God made people... Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, they were married, first couple, and he said to them, have kids, increase. And that is God's original instructions to people. So that's still a thing. <laughs> I know not everyone can have children. It's not possible for some people. And, um, but, mind you, my dad's an expert at praying to help with that. So if you like children and you can't have them, get a prayer from my dad. He's helped a lot of people. But it is an, it's an original command, and all around the world, even people that don't know the Lord and don't follow him, they do that. They have children. They increase, and it's God's original instruction. And you know what? People, um, they want to have children. They get married, and they, they discuss, how many kids are we going to have? Two, three, four, five, eight, ten? <laughs> Other numbers. And um, they discuss it. And um, girls especially grow up thinking how, how wonderful it would be to be a mum. They look forward to it. Boys often don't think about that growing up, but they think about it later. And it's, it's within people that they want to have children. God's put that desire there. It's not very often you meet someone that says, I don't want to have kids. Um, that's less common. And so God's put this desire in everyone to have children and there's something about having children which is so wonderful. You love them. You pour your life into them. And um, I like to joke with people and I, I like to say that you haven't multiplied until you've had at least three. Now, if you've only got two, don't feel bad. It's just my joke. But if, you, if you're a mum and a dad, that's two, and you have two more, that's only adding. That's not multiplying. But Jesus said, go forth and multiply. So you've got to have at least three to multiply in my way of thinking about it. That's important, that number three, because I'm going to get back to that in a minute. So um, my wife and I, we, we're grateful to have multiplied. We've got seven. So we've done our bit. And um, so God's original instruction was to have children, to fill the earth, and, um, but then the disastrous entrance of sin happened. So at that point, was God's original instruction a thing of the past? No, it wasn't. Just because sin had entered the world and the picture changed didn't mean that the original thing God said was put to the side. It's still a thing. It's just that there are now other things that have to be done as well. So 
That's why we have the atonement, Jesus coming to die on the cross. Now people had to be redeemed, but God's original instructions are still there. A bit later in the book of Genesis, we get to um, a man called Abraham. And I'm going to take this morning the instructions that God gives to Adam and Eve and the thing that God says about Abraham, and I'm going to join them together and I'm going to tell you that these are our gospel instructions. But let's go see what God said about Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. This is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're not talking about Sodom and Gomorrah today, but God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and he's come to talk to Abraham and he's, he's kind of having a conversation with himself saying, I don't think I can keep it a secret from Abraham what I'm about to do. Let's read. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, doing what is right and just. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. This version of the Bible says, I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after me. For some reason, I had that verse burned into my brain a different way. And I've tried to find that version of it and I couldn't find it. So maybe it was the Holy Spirit who burned it into my brain the wrong way. But the way I remembered that verse was, I have chosen him because he will direct his children and his household after me. Well, that's not what it says. But for some reason in my memory in my mind, after you know years of reading the Bible, I had always thought that the reason God picked Abraham was because he was the type of guy that would teach his children the right things. Well, either way, that is what he did. He did teach his children the right things. He taught Isaac the ways of Christ, and then Isaac taught Jacob at least. The things of God were passed down. And um, so we've got these two examples here, these two things that God said. One, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, have children. But here we see God was incredibly, he stressed the importance with Abraham of teaching his children the ways of God. So as Christians, we need, you know, we not only have children, but we should teach them the ways of God. And we do that by the things we say and by our example. It's those two things together. So sometimes you get um, Christian parents that don't say a lot, but they live a great life, a good example, and the children pick it up. Uh, that's better. If you don't say much, it's better to at least have the good example in place. Um, but it's best to do both. It's best to take your children, to teach them the ways of God, to read the Bible with the children, you know, at the family dinner table, things like that. Um, so to be someone like Abraham who would teach your children the ways of God. So this is something that God appreciates. And if sin had never entered the world, you would have just had these two things. You would have just had people that love the Lord, having children, teaching their children about God, and that would have been, the world would have been perfect with those two things. But now we have a situation where we still need to have that, but we now have all these people that don't know about the Lord. They're born into families and homes where they don't get that. And as far as scripture is concerned, they are dead in their sins. They're not even alive as far as God is concerned. 
Now you might say, of course they're alive. Um, well, there's two types of life. And in the, in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, God said to them, on the day that you sin, you will die. And when they sinned, they were physically still alive, but they were dead. There's these two types of life and there's these two types of death. So right now, you know, in the Garden of Eden, you had people who were physically alive, but they were dead. And the world is full of people like that right now. But then you've got people right now in the world who are alive in two ways, like you and me, hopefully. We've, we've come to know the Lord. In that moment of coming to know the Lord, something has turned on inside of us. Life has entered. The Holy Spirit has touched you. We call that being born again. So the spirit part of you is now alive. So you, as far as God is concerned, you're living. So there are people who are dead, even though they're alive. I thought it was really interesting last week in Bithia's communion message, she talked about the prodigal son. Prodigal son left his dad, went away and had all those years of wild living, came back. The father was celebrating. He said, because my son, who once was dead, is now alive. See that? The son never actually died physically at any point. But as far as the parable was concerned, as far as God's perspective, he was dead and then he was brought back to life. Well, see, that's so many people in the world around us, they're dead. And we need to introduce them to the life of God. That's what we call the first resurrection, by the way. <laughs> when you come to know the Lord, your spirit is resurrected. You're raised from death to life. And it's the most wonderful thing of all. So your job as a Christian is to bring the gospel to people, to bring people out of death into life with the help of Jesus. We're going to read Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came to them, that was his disciples, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gave this job to his disciples. So at the start of Jesus' ministry, he's calling them to come. He's going to teach them how to fish. At the end of his ministry, he's leaving to go back to heaven, but he's saying, now go. Do the job I've taught you to do. And so that's your job too. We're supposed to have kids. When God said, be fruitful and multiply, he didn't just mean have kids in the way you were first thinking. You're supposed to have children, spiritual children. You're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Spiritually, you're not supposed to be someone that just goes through your entire life and, doesn't, and never brings anyone to Christ. Now, there may end up being a few people like that. You know, like sometimes some people can't have children. Or sometimes some people don't get married. There, sometimes there are a few people in that category. But it's the exception. Most people get married and have some children. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way God made it. That's normal. Spiritually, you're supposed to have children. You're not supposed to say, oh, I can't do that. 
Now you're supposed to want to do it, and you're supposed to do it. The exact same thing that was in the Garden of Eden, where God said, be fruitful and multiply, that's what's going on in the church. That's what's supposed to go on in your faith. And then, the thing with Abraham about teaching his children the ways of God, that's supposed to be going on as well. That's also something you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be someone, as a Christian, that brings a person to Christ and then walks with them until they grow to become mature in the faith. You know, we don't have children and then say, oh, I've done my bit, I've brought a human into the world, and then ignore them. You don't do that. You are a parent to that child, and you will always have a relationship with that child as long as they live, and as long, well, as long as you live. That's how it's supposed to be. And even when they become an adult, and they become, you know, autonomous and mature, so to speak, there's still a connection there, still a relationship, still love, still heart. Well, that's how it's supposed to be in the church too. What happens when, we, when, when a preacher says to people that you've got to be a witness, you don't tend to think like this. You tend to think of this other type of witnessing, which is more like random one-off witnessing um, that, you know, without the ongoing relationship. So that's what I've decided to call casual witnessing. It's like, just like when you bump into someone somewhere and you happen to talk to them about the Lord, but that's it. That's like literally the last time you'll ever see them in your life. Casual witnessing. Yes, you're supposed to be a witness like that when the chance arises, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about catching a fish, cleaning the fish. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about having spiritual children. And this isn't something that you just do by beating someone into changing their opinion. Now, this is something where you walk with someone, you love them, you pray for them, they get to know you, you get to know them. It's a lifelong relationship. I've, as it turns out, I've always done both. I've always done the casual type of witnessing. It's not casual in the sense that it's not important. It's just casual in the sense that you might not expect to be witnessing. I've sat on planes and talked to people about Christ. I was in Kapalabar once. Um, literally one weekend of my entire life I've been in Kapalabar. It's a suburb in Brisbane. And I brought a lady to the Lord outside the Kapalabar shopping centre like that. It took three minutes. Like I was completely shocked because I was not expecting to do that. But no, there she was. And she was just ready. I happened to, we just happened to be talking about the Lord and she just said, how do I become a Christian? It was like she was just waiting for that information and she just needed to find a human being that had the information and lo and behold, there I was and it just all happened. That's like that story in the Bible of Acts chapter 8 with you know the guy riding in the chariot with Philip. Some of you can read, go and read that story in Acts chapter 8 if you don't know it. But there was a guy who was just ready to get saved. He just didn't know how. Well, though, you know, I was completely shocked the day that that happened. It was also the first person I ever led to the Lord. Well, that was more of the casual situation. I don't know, never met that person before, never met them since, don't remember their name, probably won't see them again until heaven. That's more just what I call casual witnessing. And sometimes you'll bring someone to Christ, but most of the time you're just sowing a seed and it'll bear fruit sometime later. 
And I always pray for people like that when I talk to them. I always say, Lord, take a hold of my words. May it grow in their heart. Bring them to faith in Christ. And you never know where that will all go. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the type of witnessing where your life is meshed with, you know, you get to know people. And I've always done this type of witnessing too. Um, ever since I was in Mount Morgan, I got to know people. People who live next door to the church, they weren't Christians, but I would get to know them. You'd be friendly. You'd be a Christian. You'd lean over the fence. You'd talk to them. You'd take the time to develop a relationship with them. You would share the gospel. You'd pray for them when they have needs. Um, you'd be mindful that you need to bring them to Christ, but you've got to win their heart. And I always decided in my mind I wasn't going to be a friend to people just to catch them. I was going to be a friend to be a friend. You, you cannot be a fake friend. You cannot dangle friendship with the hope of bringing them to Christ. That's not real friendship. You've got to be, it's got to be a, a, the type of relationship which is, which is authentic no matter what they choose. And that was always my attitude. My attitude with people in Mount Morgan, all sorts of people, was I'm going to have a real friendship with you. I'm going to love you unconditionally. If you respond to the gospel, you're loved. If you don't respond to the gospel, you're loved. And that's exactly what Jesus' attitude was when he walked the earth. He met all sorts of people. He healed people and he didn't require them to become a Christian afterwards. You'll notice that. Some people who were healed followed Christ. Other people who were healed didn't even say thank you, like nine out of the ten lepers. So that's the way of it. The way that my attitude always was, my love for people shall be authentic regardless of how they respond. And it's not possible to have this type of you know, it's not possible to develop a meaningful relationship with more than a few people because your mind isn't capable of loving the whole of your city or the whole of your street like that. So you'll have a kind of a, I'm a, a Christian attitude. Wherever you go, you're just a happy person who spreads the love of Christ. But to those few people that are closer to you, like it might be someone at work, it might be a certain next door neighbour, it might be a family member, there's a few people in your life that are closer to you well, you're going to love those people with a whole heart and walk with those people. You're going to pray for them at home, like every day. You're going to pray for the Lord to work in their heart. You're going to do things for those people when the opportunity arises. So you're going to have a meaningful Christian relationship with those people because you want them to come to know the Lord as you have. And then what happens when you bring someone to the Lord like that? They come to the Lord wanting to come to the Lord. It's not like the other type of people that don't want to come to the Lord and feel forced. So when someone comes to the Lord, um, like my old neighbour, Mr Eddie, that we had visited him in the aged care home every week for years, and he had said no. Now, I offered to pray with him, I don't know how many times, 20 or 30 times. Now, in the beginning, we were never offering to... Um, we weren't trying to share the gospel with him in a, in a kind of a, you know, you need to know the Lord right now kind of a way. But we were saying things like, can we pray for you? And he would say, no thanks, I don't believe in that. Now, he did believe in that. He just didn't want to admit he believed in that. 
because we found that out later. And as time went along and as he came to see that we were authentic, he would let us pray for him, just not with him. He would say, yes, you can pray for me when you're, you know, later. That type of thing. So that's progress. But then finally one day I'd visited him in the aged care home and my children didn't come, they were sick or there was some reason why they didn't come and I just went on my own. And I said to him this particular day, can I pray for you? Um, I, I, I said, I really think, uh, he was getting frail. And I said, you're looking quite frail. Can I pray for you to accept Jesus Christ? And he said, yes. Well, I was completely shocked because I just expected the same answer every single other time. So he'd obviously been thinking about it, but the fact is there was a friendship there. It was not based upon a condition. We weren't friends based on anything he was doing for us because he really wasn't doing anything for us. We were friends because we loved him. He'd been our neighbour across the street. We'd gotten to know him. When he moved into aged care, we kept visiting him. And um, he had some family members that really wanted him to know the Lord. They were Christians. They went to another church in town. I said to them, stop witnessing to him. I know that sounds like back-to-front information. It sounds like not the type of thing a pastor would say, but I said to them, can you stop witnessing to him He's feeling pressured by that. I said, let's stop witnessing, let me do it. Because the family member, he had perceived his family as kind of like a pressured situation, like they were trying to get something from him. But I said to him, he doesn't think that about me. I'm just someone that, that he perceives as caring a great deal for him. So you stop witnessing to him, trust the Lord and trust me. And so, um, and I really was going out on a limb in saying that because I actually didn't know what the Lord was going to do, but I was hoping the Lord would come through and believing that he would. So this particular night, he said, yes, he'd like to pray. So we prayed with him, and the next morning I got the phone call, he had passed away. So yeah, talk about in the nick of time. So um, we look forward to seeing him when we get to heaven. And you know, some people, they have a faith but it's kind of pushed down and they don't want to admit it and they don't want to admit they have needs but they get to that point when they realise you know I do have that need I do need God and there'll be a lot of people that won't admit that that need is there the need for the Lord but, but if you aim as a person to win their heart by being authentic your love for them doesn't have conditions it doesn't matter if they swear at you or mean at you and you give them Christmas gifts and they don't give any back and all of that type of stuff, you'll win them over. And um, we don't really have the time in life to give that level of love and attention to too many people. But there are people in your life, three or four or five of them around you, that you can be mindful of like that. And I've always said, whoever your next door neighbours are, the Lord's put them there for you to love. And uh, I, I believe that. The Lord, you, the Lord doesn't, you don't choose who your neighbours are, the Lord chooses who your neighbours are. And even if you're not the one to bring them to Christ, you're certainly supposed to be a part of the process by praying for them. Of all the neighbours I've ever lived next, door, next to, that's the only one we've ever brought to Christ, but I've prayed for every single one of them, nearly every single day. You know what? I believe some of those neighbours have moved off to other places and the Lord, you know what the Bible says? One sows one waters and another reaps. Well, I've only reaped one time, but I've sure sowed and watered a great deal, and you ought to be doing the same thing too. Now, 
I'm going to start wrapping this up. I'm giving you a, 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 a specific goal. I've been thinking this for years. I've never said it in church before, but I've been thinking this for at least 10 years. I've been thinking that every person should make it their goal to bring three people to Christ in their lifetime. I don't mean lead three people to the Lord like that lady on the shops at Kapalabar. I'm not saying that. No, bring a million people to the Lord like that. But no, your goal should be to have three spiritual children. People you lead to Christ by loving them, by praying with them, by walking with them. And when they come to Christ, now you're the spiritual mum or dad of that person. Who are they going to look to as they grow as a Christian? You, because you're the one that brought them to the Lord. So you'll help them answer questions about the Bible. You'll take them through new believers' information. You'll pray with them. So you're the mum or the dad, and your goal is to bring three people to Christ like that. And if you bring more, that's fine. But I think you need to say in your mind, I want to bring three people to the Lord because that is going forth and multiplying. That's the way I see it. And I thought it was interesting because I've been thinking this particular thing for years. It's not a legalistic thing. It's, it's, you know, if you get to heaven and you only brought two people to the Lord, it's not to slap you over the head and say you failed. That's not the point. The point is you've got to have something to aim for, and most people don't aim for anything. Most people sit in church and never ever think about bringing one person to the Lord. They think of the other type of witnessing, but they don't think about having spiritual children. You need to think about it. So I'm setting you a goal of having three. It's something to aim for. And I thought it was interesting this week that I took the boys fishing with Uncle Tavis, and my son caught three. Now, maybe that's a coincidence. Well, I thought maybe the Lord gave me that little coincidence as a kind of a backup illustration, right? You're supposed to catch three fish. <laughs> and then you're supposed to, you know, clean those fish. And that's a picture of the process you go through helping the person in their life as, you know, they become more and more like Christ. Everyone wants to catch fish. No one wants to clean them. But no, you're supposed to catch them and clean them. You're supposed to have children. And just like you do with kids, you're supposed to raise them up to maturity and then as long as they're a human being and you're a human being and you're alive, you'll have that ongoing relationship with them that's supposed to be what Christians do. So Jesus, when he said go forth, he said when he said he was going to make them fishers of men, he was talking about the catching. When he said go forth and make disciples, he's talking about the walking with people and teaching them everything they need to know. So I'm giving you a goal, catch so you're going to start how are you going to start you're going to start by thinking actually thinking about the people in your life that are around you the people that are closest to you that don't know the Lord these could be some people at work these could be people who you live next door to and you've known them for years well start praying for them every single day pray for them pray for the Lord to soften their heart Pray for opportunities to speak, because witnessing does involve speaking as well. Mr. Eddie would not have come to the Lord if I didn't actually ask him if he wanted prayer. And you know what? Sometimes there comes a moment when you've just got to get on your knees and say, I am not stopping praying for this person until I break through on something. So there's the long-term kind of working away at it, but sometimes there comes a moment when you say, enough's enough, I'm praying this thing through. And we did that for Mr. Eddie 
A couple of times I said, I'm fasting for his salvation. I took a few days and didn't eat food for several days, praying for him to become a Christian. Well, you know what that is? That's called giving birth. You know, women know what it's like to give birth. Okay, it's a, a laborious process. <laughs> You've got the process of pregnancy, which takes a period of time where that life is growing. Well, that's this process of you walking with people. You're praying for people. You're showing the love of God to people. You're speaking the truth. Well, that's the truth is the seed. The seed is the thing that sparks life. The life starts to grow. That's the pregnancy. There's a period of growth, but then there comes a point when there must be a labour and a birth. Sometimes it's a quick, quick pregnancy or a quick gestational period. You know, some animals are born, they have a pregnancy of just a few weeks. But some animals, like an elephant, is it two years? It's there's some huge amount of time with an elephant. Well, you know, you're walking with people, but there comes this moment you're going to labour. And you'll know it. You'll know They'll get, and so this is what we did with Mr. Eddie. I said to my wife, I'm going to fast for his salvation. And even though we had shared the gospel, we had prayed, we had visited, we had loved, we'd given him Christmas presents, we'd done all sorts of things, there came a moment when I fasted and prayed, that's the labour. And then after the labour comes, the birth. So there's all of this is involved in having spiritual children. Well, you need to start. We've been praying every Sunday, having a united prayer here once a week. That's a beginning place. But you need, now need to go and do more than that. So I'm leaving you with a very clear instruction. You're supposed to have children. And you're supposed to raise them for the Lord like Abraham did with his son Isaac. And I want you to consider who are the people around you in your life that you need to start Focusing on by being, you know, loving, by being kind, by being prayerful, by lifting them up before the Lord every day. You know that there are, there are people that will not end up saved unless you do something. That's a fact. There are people who are, people are not born unless their parents do something. That's a fact, right? We all know that. Parents have to do things, otherwise children do not exist. And there are things you must do too, or other people will not find life. I always said to my wife, I said, um, there's always this feeling like after you had one or two children, should we stop now? I said, the problem with stopping is you don't know who's not going to be born. <laughs> you know, I know that's a funny way of thinking, but then after they're born, you say a young man down there, Nicholas, after he's born you think, man, I'm so glad we had him. Then after the next one's born, Silas, man, if we had stopped, we would not, known who, we would not have known who he was. I'm so glad he was born. There are people who will not find life unless you take the command of Christ seriously. We might know who they are, but they will not know who the Lord is. So we must take the instructions of Christ to heart. Okay? I'm going to invite the band to come, and we're going to finish the service. And, um, but I want to pray. I don't want this to be another one of those messages where you just go home and, and say, oh, that was a nice message. 
No, the church here is supposed to grow. We're supposed to see new people in the church. Um, if a farmer had a paddock, paddock full of cows and they never had any calves, he'd get rid of that paddock of cows. He'd get a different bunch of cows, ones that would have calves. He'd say, there's something wrong with this bunch of cows. Well, no, we're supposed to, we're not cows, but we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to be fruitful. You're supposed to be fruitful. And it may be that in the course of your life, you only do bring two or three people to Christ, but that's supposed to be something you're aiming for and bring about. I'll tell you what, if we all think like that, it won't be more than 20 or 30 years and this city will be completely different. Imagine if every Christian thought like that. I guarantee you within 50 years this city would be completely saved. Imagine if every Christian over the next 20 or 30 years brought three people to Christ. And then in the 20 or 30 years following that, it happened again. The city would be completely saved. Well, let's be the type of people that are fishers of men, fishers of people. Now, if you're thinking right now, I can't do this, because I think a lot of people have low faith for this. If you're thinking you can't do this, I'd like to say you're actually right. You can't. You can't catch fish. You've got to do what Xavier did. You can say, Jesus, help me to catch fish. You've got to do that because it's, that's the only way you can catch a fish. Every story in the Bible, it seemed like a fish that was caught involved Jesus' help. If you want to catch a fish, you can't do it on your own. You're completely right. <laughs> You've got to get his help. So say to the Lord, Lord, help me to catch these fish and pray for the fish that you're aiming at. You know what? Maybe it won't be those people. Maybe those people will move away and you'll end up with new next door neighbours. Or It doesn't matter what ends up happening. The fact is that your heart is for the process and you're prayerful. You're going to catch some fish even if it's not the ones you first were thinking of. That's the Lord at work in you. So we're going to pray. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to touch your heart right now and to bring about a change in your heart. And then I want you to go home and to contemplate. If you're married, husband and wife should talk about this. Who are you together going to love for the sake of Christ? And if you're single... Think about this on your own before the day is over. Think about who you're going to aim to bring to Christ. And then you're going to start by praying for them. And you're going to start by asking the Lord to show you what to do. Don't barge into their life and hit them over the head with a, with a stick. You'll just knock yourself back five paces before you even get going. Now ask the Lord to show you what to do. And it may be that you go to your next door neighbours and say... I'm so sorry, I've lived next door to you for 11 years and I've never said hello. You know, how foolish of me. And give them a gift. Make them a meal and say, I'm sorry, we, I haven't made a better effort to be a good neighbour. Start with something like that. Who knows, whatever, whatever the Lord tells you to do, but begin with that. So Heavenly Father, you said in Matthew chapter 4, that you would teach us to be fishers of men. You would make us to be fishers of men and women, of course. Well, Lord, I ask that you take a hold of all of us, every single one of us here, and make us to be fishers of people. Help us to catch people for Christ. 
And Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would be at work in our minds and our hearts as we all think about these things today. I pray that you would cause us to know what to do, that you would lead us and guide us. And Father, I pray that we would catch fish, just like my son caught a fish, caught three fish this week, with your help. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would now help us to catch fish for Christ. So Lord, we commit ourselves into you, into your hands, and we say to you, we're your willing servants. We want to be spiritual mums and dads. We want to bring people to the Lord and see them raised into maturity. Oh Lord, help us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. By the way, I've written a new believers course. Over the last few weeks, I've been working on it and I've put it up online um, at one of our websites. We'll talk, tell you more about it later. But you know, what we need to do is when someone comes to the Lord, we need to immediately take them through a new believers course. So we've got one. We've got one we can use now. So if you, if you know anyone who's new in faith, or maybe it's you, maybe you're new in faith, let's get you doing that new believers course and start to learn the basic things about what it means to be Christian. All right, well, God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your day.